Welcome aboard the System 76 transmission log. Our broadcast is about to begin. This is the latest on System 76 computers, manufacturing, and Pop OS. Now for your in orbit crew. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Emma. I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And we have an epic show planned for you today. Whoop, whoop. It's been a while since you've heard from us, so we've got a lot to cover. First up, let's talk hardware. Everyone's favorite mini but fierce desktop, the Meerkat, was updated with 13th gen Intel Core CPU. With the i3, i5, and i7 version, you can get up to 12 cores and 16 threads of processing power. Believe it or not, you can configure this little guy with up to 16 terabytes of storage and up to 64 gigabytes of memory because everyone could use 16 terabytes of storage. Let's chat about Threadripper. Yeah, so we've actually got two Thalia majors being featured at CES, January 9th to 11th. They'll be at two vendors' booths the whole weekend. The first one's going to be with AMD, where we're featuring Thalia Major with the Zen 4 Threadripper. It's the new CPUs from AMD. They're supposed to be a hell of a lot faster. And that one's got the Radeon W7900 GPU in it as well. Uh, and then the other Thalia Major is going to be at Gigabyte's booth featuring the TRX50 AeroD motherboard. And this is in collaboration with both vendors, but also to show off our new and improved desktop, Thalia Major. And we'll be demoing its power running stable diffusion. So a couple of the engineers at System76 created this program to automate both creating images and stable diffusion using prompts and flipping between that and Blender renders to show off both the CPU power and the GPU power. Such a big deal. I love it. And next, we've got an announcement for what's set to be the most colorful pangolin in the world. We've got a new pangolin laptop coming. It's got 100% sRGB coverage, basically meaning it's just going to be a lot more vibrant. Very vibrant colors are going to pop out of the screen and maybe scare you on Halloween. Who knows? I love how vibrant the colors are. Well, Sarah's here to update us on the latest happenings with Cosmic and Pop. Sarah, take it away. Let's talk about the updates of Cosmic Proportions. Ooh. The new text editor is hot off the presses with new features for the ultimate productivity enhancer. We've added a context drawer for searching projects, Git integration, and updates to highlighting behavior and spacing. We also have a ton of window updates, snap them, swap them, move them, all the things. For example, right-clicking on a window's title bar gives the ability to move, resize, stack, tile, or float, and take a screenshot of the window. Truly, all the things. Multi-monitor improvements were a big thing too. A shortcut was added to move entire workspaces to another display, and code was added for a window to remember which display it was connected to. So when you plug your monitor back in, it will automatically migrate back to that display. We are short on time to share all of the hot cosmic goss, but you can be the first to hear about all things cosmic by subscribing to our blog and following our social networks. Speaking of cosmic and pop, do you have a pop tip for us this month, Sarah? I have the hottest pop tip for this month. You may have noticed that there's no maximize button in pop. 
That is because there is a nifty shortcut to get it done faster. Try out Super Plus M in Pop to maximize or unmaximize your active window. In other news, we had a few big tours at the end of last year, and we're talking huge, huge. We were not used to having tours this big, so we we got a bunch of decorations for the office. We got some robot decals, street signs for the manufacturing floor. We painted a wall. Finally, it took us a bunch of years, but we got a wall painted, and that's a big achievement. <laughs> Yeah. First, we had attendees from the 2023 Supercompute Conference. They visited after the show. And during their tour, we had a streaming global demonstration, a cosmic presentation, and then they had tours with me and Carl, which was really fun. We also got to try some space-themed food. It was in our office, so it's got to be space-themed. So we got catering from the Inventing Room, which is a company local in Denver. They do a lot of cool things with dry ice. And they had this one, it was like a white chocolate asteroid truffle. It was really good. But when you see it on the table, how they present it is it's like floating on this on this cone thing. It was cool. Yeah, the food was really neat. And then we also had a local high school take a field trip to the factory with about 60 teenagers. And I'm hoping we sparked some interest in open source and manufacturing. We had four tours that day and games and presentations for the students while their tour group was waiting for the other tour group. And speaking of games, we've actually got quite a few new blog posts to tell you about. There's one for tips for configuring your new gaming PC. So depending on what type of gamer you are, we have some suggestions for just how much power you'll need. We have another one for... Gaming on Pop! OS, setting up your system with the right softwares and such. It's pretty simple, but there may be some things you don't know as a, a new Linux gamer, so we just wanted to have a blog to help get you started. And then the last gaming-themed one we've added recently is some game picks from our in-house happiness architect slash support technician, Aaron. He chose five games from various genres, and he's excited to talk to you about that. Yeah, December saw a lot of posts about gaming and tinkering. There's a new weekend project article about how to turn your launch keyboard into a musical instrument. And there's also a scripting tutorial from Garrett in our support department. And both of the, the tutorial and the keyboard were both created by Garrett. And I can't believe how quick and easy it is to conquer both the tutorial and the musical instrument. Yeah, Garrett's also one of our support technicians. So we asked him about his experience with scripting in Linux. He talked a lot about automating processes, what his history in Linux was like. It's a pretty interesting interview. You guys should check it out. All right. Well, our special guest this month is Defense Unicorns. We have Austin and Wayne joining us today. So Austin, can you tell us about your role and what Defense Unicorns does? Yes. So I lead the product portion of the company to create repeatable open source solutions that aid in the technical challenges that we see for software delivery and national security. Defense Unicorns in particular, we enable continuous software delivery for national security purposes. We help our mission heroes deploy software capabilities wherever they need to go, whether that be submarines, rockets disconnected servers, edge devices, you name it. 
the mission really needs to be portable and open and secure in order to increase the speed in which we can deliver capability to the front lines and reduce sustainment cost of these rather large programs. We specialize in particular in air gap, which is you know some sort of egress limited or disconnected environment, and really cybersecurity, because those are the entry barriers we see to delivering for national security purposes. We build our solutions in an open way. And really what that allows us to do is bridge some of the brightest minds in the open source community and really the software community in general and the national security community. And really building that bridge is a lot of what we do. I guess the last point I'll make is everybody is impacted by public services, no matter what you do in life, right? Healthcare, finance, defense, and whether you realize it or not, we all are users of these public services. And so we all have a vested interest in making them better in our life, more effective and more efficient. And that's really what Defense Unicorns helps the government do. Awesome. And Wayne, what's your role at Defense Unicorns? Yep. So I'm the technical lead for this ARF team. So I work on that project and kind of guide its technical direction, as well as building its open source community and managing internal asks from the company direction. And so we're Zarf is Defense Unicorns' most mature project. So we're kind of a lot of the core of a lot of things that we, we do at the company. And how much of what you guys develop, I know you said open source is a main part of your mission, but how much of what you develop is open source and why is it important? Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's the thing that makes us pretty unique, at least uh, compared to the other people that do what we do. All of our core technology that we develop is open source and under an Apache 2.0 license. If you go to our GitHub page, which is just Defense Unicorns, you'll see all of the main projects, including Zarf, which Wayne just mentioned, pinned to the top. There's a couple other projects out there too. Open source is pretty unique for us and what we believe is to be you know, one of our superpowers. Uh, to me, the benefits really include a lot of wider adoption, better security practices. It allows us to learn faster because there's more people using and giving us feedback. We get introduced to new customers or potential customers, although it's not the reason we do open source. It does allow us to meet a lot of people and have a lot of interesting conversations. We get access to innovation for people with different diverse ideas than what we would have on our own. I think you could honestly say you get free labor because sometimes people are submitting PRs and we accept those PRs from the community. And that's a lot of what Wayne's job is. And I'll be honest, the other selfish thing is the person who leads the kind of people side is it gives us a lot of recruiting and branding. Like we find some of our best hires that are people that are just interested in what we're doing at, at the code level. And then I just want to touch on why it matters to the national security market. Like everybody in these different, I think one of the barriers we see is people don't really fully understand open source in the defense market. That's a challenge. But what we realize is a lot of these systems are too large and too complex to be built and solved on their own. And, and unfortunately, a lot of programs start from the ground up. They literally get like a blank VPC or bare metal and they start to build things as if they've never used any other technology or commodity before, which just slows things down. Right. And, and it honestly spends a lot of taxpayer money. And what we're trying to do is accelerate that so that we have uh, higher quality security and deterrence for the country. Nice. So what type of hardware are you using? Um, I know the software is open source, but are you using any open source hardware or what type of hardware? Yeah, I use um, a System76 DARP8, the Darter Pro. So it's the Core i7, 1260p, 64 gigs of RAM model. A lot of the company uses Macs. That's also pretty common in the K8 space as well. But we kind of have a split between those that kind of go the Linux route or those that go the, the Mac OS route. Okay. And what led to your choice of using the DARP-8? I have been using Macs for a long time. In the When I was in the Air Force, that was some of our, our dev machines were, were those. I, I don't like dealing with some of their quirks. There's weird things when you're doing local development where if you're running containers, you have to have 
a VM behind the scenes. There's extra layers of networking or some other machine that you have to deal with. And it's nice to be able to hit the raw system and I can deploy large multi-node clusters with different agents and all that stuff and have it running on my laptop, all self-contained without any other stuff. And that's really, really nice. So that was kind of why I wanted to go Linux. The reason why I chose System76 is that I wanted, to, because I'm working off of it, I wanted support from a company that backs it. And then I also wanted native firmware support so that the actual hardware and Linux work together. And I didn't have to like switch to Windows to do BIOS updates or something weird like that. And so System76 was one of the options that we have at our company. And, and that was kind of why I chose it. I also have experience with the brand. I used to have a Galago Ultra Pro that I had back in college. So um, back in the 2014. So I've been a fan for a while. That's awesome. For the, the Galago Ultra Pro, that one was a solid machine. How long did it yeah. last you? Uh, it's still running. It still exists. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I loved so, that one. Yeah, nine years at least. Yep. Cool. You had mentioned Zarf earlier. Wayne, what is Zarf and who is it designed for? Yeah, so Zarf allows you to take cloud applications and then move them into air-gapped or um, kind of egress-limited locations or places where you want to disconnect from the internet for a period of time. So basically what it does is it allows you to take an app to be like I don't know, Nextcloud or, or Matrix or some, some sort of thing that runs on, on a server like in Kubernetes is what it's focused around. And then it allows you to take the, the charts, manifests, the things that deploy that application and define its configuration, as well as its images or repositories or other files that you may need, and take all of those things and put it into a single artifact that you can bring with you wherever you need it to be. And it can facilitate that in a couple different ways. It started off as just doing that in a single tarball, but now it supports multi-part tarballs. So if you need to split it across DVDs to bring it over, you can do that. It supports OCI artifacts or HTTP web server downloads and things for deployment. So it allows you to package all the resources you need, bring them over to the air gap, and then light the environment on the other side. The other thing that it brings as well as uh, kind of that mirroring capability is it allows you to stand up services on just a Linux machine. So all it needs on the air gap side is just a Linux box. And by default, with the, the init package that we provide, all you need is Linux and systemd, and then it will, Zarf can handle the initialization of a K3S cluster, your uh, container registry, a Git repository, um, and then any apps you want to install on top of it. So um, it can basically light an entire environment from, from not much. And then you can customize the init package and obviously your own packages as you need for whatever environment you're running in. And if you already have those resources, Zarf will be able to use those too. But it's very flexible in kind of how you set up those environments and what you bring. And why should people use it or implement it? Basically, it's a lot easier than trying to roll your own way of doing those things. A lot of the things that we focus on are around supply chain security. So there's built-in SIFT software bill of materials for the things that brings over. So it'll scan all the images. If you bring over executable files, it'll scan those too. And it'll bring all that stuff together so you don't have to do that manually. It supports package signing with six-door cosign. So you can have some cryptographic security around the packages you're bringing over. And then we also focus heavily on user experience and making it just a very simple process to create a package, initialize whatever cluster you're deploying into, and then deploy package. It's basically three commands. So Zarf package create, Zarf init, Zarf package deploy, and you have everything up and running. And that's a, a big difference from rolling your own. A lot of people when, who are solving this problem, they're doing it with uh, bash scripts or they're trying to manually edit manifests. Just an example of one of the problems you might run into is your image references will be po likely pointing to different domains. If you're pulling an image from Docker Hub, say Nginx, and then you're trying to bring that over to an air gap, the domain Docker Hub is not likely to exist there. So how do you rewrite that? 
A lot of people would manually do that, but Zarf has an agent that it can deploy into the cluster that will handle all that stuff for you. So it does a lot of this sort of behind the scenes work to make what are traditionally online deployments work offline seamlessly. So it sounds like it's a big time saver too. Yes, yeah. And it has a lot of helpful commands as well. So like if you have a Helm chart and you don't know what images potentially it, it runs into, maybe it's not maybe it's not your Helm chart, it's somebody else's. Zarf, for example, can template that out and actually tell you what images that Helm chart uses. So there's there's helpers as well that it has to, to really help you build all this stuff out. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to hit on the time-saving aspect you just brought up because I don't think a lot of people, we, we're in a very specific niche around national security. And when, when we say air gap, we truly mean like people may be burning disks and walking or driving or shipping like software. And if it doesn't work on the other end, the feedback loop to the development team, typically it could be days or weeks or months before that feedback gets back to the team to make the changes, to redeploy and check things. And it may be simple things that Wayne's bringing up or like the communication internally just isn't working right. And so there's this knowledge gap of the people who have access to the systems. Cause sometimes it's 18, 19 year old sailors, airmen that aren't trained in IT. And there's people on the other side developing usually exquisite software that is pretty complex. And that, so that the, the time saving is really, really critical because every mistake isn't just like a couple hours and rerun CI and re-kick things off. It could be days or weeks of deployment time. All right. Well, thanks for explaining what Zarf is all about. Can you guys talk about Platform One and explain why it's important? Yeah, Platform One is one of the things that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And honestly, several people at Defense Unicorns in particular, there was a lot of us that were around the inception and idea of that kind of effort taking off. And honestly, it was an effort that was built on the backs of like several other what the Department of Defense calls software factory efforts like Kessel Run that came before it. And there's others, too. But I think it's probably important to start with the problem statement before what it was trying to do. You know, what a lot of us had saw after serving for a decade or so is that as we went to each stop along our transition to different programs is that kind of what I mentioned earlier, what was typical is you would kick off the procurement process, which takes a long time in itself to like buy something from a vendor. And you would get like a blank VPC from Amazon Web Services or some bare metal somewhere. And then the idea was like hire a team through a services contract from a, a known prime contractor and just start building the software from like the secure OS layer and up. And what you realize is that takes 18 months or more to deliver any capability and, and millions of dollars. And when you look across these programs, now that kind of software has eaten the world, 80% of that tech stack was the exact same software, but it's 30 different vendors recreating the wheel every single time. And it's just an incredible amount of waste when it comes to both time and like this people's opportunity cost of their intellectual ability, quite frankly, and also just straight up taxpayer dollars, like invoicing and paying bills to these services contracts. And so Platform One, really the idea of, of many people coming together, it was really a self-formed team of many people across the country at the time while in active military service. And what we said is like, hey, instead of starting with 5% of a commodity of like AWS or whatever else, why don't we try to commoditize like 80% to the tech stack so that when you start a new program or you're migrating a program to the cloud or whatever it may be, you have 80% of the solution done. It's not it's not 100%, right? Because there's, there's too much customization kind of at certain layers of the tech stack, but it is 80% maybe instead of five. And, and to be honest, when I was looking at System76's website this morning, I, I was just trying to re-familiarize myself on what you guys claim to be about it. It's honestly a lot of the same stuff, right? We wanted to be able to allow people to extend and build openly together rather than everybody do things in these like data silos without sharing any of the goodness that they're learning along the way. So I actually think 
what Defense Unicorns and even Platform One before that stood for is really same values and mission set that System76 does. Yeah, I agree. Your CEO designed a training course for the Linux Foundation. Who is this course designed for and what is the cost and how can people find it? Yeah, it's another great question. Rob Slaughter, our CEO, did a great job with this. I think what he realized is one of the greatest barriers of success for these IT projects and national security is is just lack of education. And that's not a knock against people at all because the people making decisions are typically experts in business operations or procurements or even like these niche defense missions, right? Like literally putting weapons in a specific location at a specific time or cyber operations or space operations. Like it's impossible to expect them to also be highly trained software engineering experts on Kubernetes, for example. And so how do you get them some level of top wave knowledge so that they understand the why behind things so they can ask the right questions and contract the right products and services And so uh, what Rob kind of led the initiative was he partnered with Linux Foundation to create a completely free course. And the the link we had provided to you earlier, and I think it was even in the kind of document you sent out earlier today. So people can look on linuxfoundation.org and and just search for DevSecOps for managers and it'll come up. It's completely free, but it was really targeted for like what I'll call those key stakeholders or decision makers that didn't normally come from a software background, but find themselves building or acquiring or developing a system that is software native. And honestly, I think we everybody on this call realizes that in today's world, any new endeavor is going to be a software-defined endeavor. It's it, That's kind of where it starts and ends. So we're just trying to help educate people so they can make better buying decisions, no matter what that is in the community. And are there any other things that Defense Unicorns does that you want the community to hear about today? Go for it, Wayne. What else do you want people to know? Yeah, so we have lots of other projects that we maintain. It's not just Sarf. We also have uh, Pepper, uh, LeapFrog AI, Lula, as well as uh, UDS, the Unicorn Delivery Services that we're building out behind the scenes. So you can definitely check those out. Uh, Pepper is basically a um, kind of validating and mutating webhook for Kubernetes. So kind of like the Zarf agent that I described before, Pepper can replace that, but also do a lot more. It's very powerful and has a Fluent-based API. Lula does policy validation, uh, which is useful for a process called authorizing a system and a risk management framework within the Department of Defense, but it's useful for the security compliance side of things. And then LeapFrog AI is our uh, air-gapped AI solution that provides a couple different capabilities using Zarf under the hood to deploy those capabilities to air gaps. And then UDS is bringing all of those things together into a single capability. And the, the other thing I would mention is we, we are working right now to really partner a lot more with OpenSSF as we move forward as part of the Linux Foundation. And a lot of what we do ends up being in the security world, although I don't think that was intentional, but it's just an area we have to work on in order to deliver software for national security. So you'll see a lot more of Defense Unicorns, especially this year, involved in the OpenSSF community, hopefully donating Zarf to that because we, we really want not only... I think, you know, one of the things I learned over the last several years in this open source conversation is there's really a difference between like open source and open governed, as in like, we don't want to be the only supply chain. We don't want to be a supply chain risks, like providing a a capability that national security depends on. We want partners, other companies, other maintainers and a community behind these. And the best way to do that is to donate it to a foundation so that there's less risk of license changes or roadmap pivots that leave users high and dry. And so you'll see a lot of Defense Unicorns heading that direction with some of the projects Wayne just listed. And I think that's uh, one of the initiatives we have this year that we're really going to double down on. That's cool. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to join us today for our podcast. Um, Are there any other things that we should know about Defense Unicorns? 
To put another point on some of why this matters, I guess, from personal anecdotes, you know, Austin talked about getting adoption within the Department of Defense. But one of the things that I saw over and over and over again within my time in the Air Force is, is how much acquisitions would contract for something. They would try to deliver it and they would never really talk to their users. And there were these giant, two, these two giant silos that kind of Austin was, was alluding to. And what that leads to is somewhat resentment from users. One of the very first projects I worked on was called the Tinker Planner Tool, where the program office that was in charge of that hadn't delivered a single line of code in, in a decade. They started in 2006 and hadn't done anything by 2016. The users had were not using the software as defined or as, as was intended. They were using a whiteboard and Excel and then doing what they called the, the MapTK dance. So MapTK was the software name, a mission error attack plan toolkit. They would basically error the software out and bug it out into a, into a bat, into a mode that it wasn't supposed to get into to be able to enter the information they needed to enter into. And so us being open source means that we can actually put our software in the hands of those operators directly and then get feedback from them directly and allow them to also solve their own problems. We've gotten lots of PRs from people within the community I, you know, that I, some of them I know, some of them I don't, where they're actually going in, they're fixing their own problems and they're being able to make those mission impacts and move forward. So that's something that we really strongly believe in as, as a company. And it's part of the reason why, why I'm here and Austin's here and so many of us are here. Yeah, I just, the only thing I'll add is just thanks for letting us be on. Again, as I was reading System 76, Wayne's way more familiar with you guys than I was because I've moved more out of the engineering world and more into like people management, quite frankly. But just, I love finding other companies that have the same kind of like mission and value alignment that we do. And it's just, it's fun to interact with those people at any chance we get. So just thanks for letting us be on and tell part of our story with you guys. Well, thanks for being part of the open source community. What you guys are doing is amazing. And we are so happy that you guys could join us today. Thank you. Thanks. All right, let's play the game real quick. Sarah, you ready? I'm ready. You get to choose between two choices of game. So it's between spell something or trivia. Let's do spelling. Okay, no looking at the script. My eyes are covered. All right. Spell <laughs> onomatopoeia. Ooh, onomatopoeia. Oh, gosh. O-N-O-M-A-T-O-P-E-I-A. What? Did nice I get it? Nice job. You got it on your first try. <sighs> Heck yes. I was watching her trying to spell that. She did not look at the script. <laughs> All right. Good job. Spelling class in elementary school. Proving it here today. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, everybody, to this month's episode of the System 76 Transmission Log. Thank you, Sarah and Emma and everyone involved. And thank you, listeners, for your, your interests and your support. And we will talk to you into our microphones in a couple months. Goodbye. <laughs> this has been the System76 Transmission Log. For more inspiration, check out the website and follow us on social media. On your descent back to Earth, Please keep your hands and feet inside the transport beam at all times. Captain sign off in transmission.